Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 8 and 19 through 20. We'll be reading from the New International Translation. When the people saw that Moses was long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So that so the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. When the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. A rather severe passage of scripture this morning, is it not? (laughs) Good morning, Pastor Sharon with you. And as we continue in this series in the book of Exodus, Wilderness, where God shapes his people. I'm just very aware that when we open God's word, it is not just another book. It is Holy Spirit inspired and what is spoken here. And what we receive online this morning is Holy Spirit driven. So I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Lord, your word and your ways are good. Always good. But we don't completely understand it. And we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to take what is spoken and written and make it alive into our individual lives. Who we are, where we are. And may that be so this morning. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you heard this morning already from Harrison about the whole idea that people often want to talk about God. Maybe they're a little hesitant. And maybe you've been part of challenging or maybe even exciting conversations when people ask questions about who God is or share their opinions about who God is. So whether they're people of faith or no faith at all, We all have an idea in our mind what God is like. Conversations might be something like this. And maybe you've heard this in people you've talked to. I hope you do have conversations about God with people, by the way. Maybe you hear this. Well, my God, my God is a God of love. He's not an angry God. Or maybe you hear someone say, well, I see God as a loving force to bless the universe. Or maybe even this, I don't believe God would ever allow disasters. 
to happen. This is not, that is not from God. Or maybe even what we might say as those who might follow Jesus, for me, to me, God is a loving friend and companion. Now, none of these statements are necessarily suspect. But you know, when we start to share our opinions about God, when we even share some of our experiences about God, we can't contain the fullness of who God is. And when we make statements or declare our viewpoints about God, we run the risk of believing in a God that we've created, that we've made. The tendency can run right into idolatry and then rebellion. And that's what we read about today with the people of Israel. We've been in this series now um, and looking at the stories from Exodus Issues where God's people are in the wilderness and he's shaping them. Remember last week we hit this high point where God's people heard the covenant law and they received it and they said, we intend to live into this. And yet we have today's text because wilderness really, it can be a very confusing and uncertain time. You and I know that in our own lives and Israel certainly knew that for themselves. And so today's text takes this abrupt turn where we were feeling like, yay, God gave us law. We know what he's like. We know what it means to follow him. And then, and then, we see something surprising, but not that surprising when you consider human nature, when you consider our own stories. I invite you, if you have Bibles with you, either in print or digitally, to open to Exodus chapter 32. Um, We always remind ourselves that the word of God is where we start and where we end. And he makes it alive to us. So we're going to go through this story, which is maybe familiar to many of you. But let's just walk through it just briefly. And as we do so, take a look at what it might see say about us ourselves. Will we see ourselves in this story at all? Let me just give a little context. Moses, um, at the beginning of... This passage that Samuel read for us, Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, like almost six weeks he's been out of sight from the people. And he's been receiving instructions from Yahweh, instructions about building the tabernacle, instructions about the priesthood, all kinds of things that God is sharing with him. And while God and Moses are deep into the details, the scene suddenly shifts here in chapter 32. We go away from the majesty up on the mountain and we come to the disquiet and the disorder down on the plains. Verse 1, chapter 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, Come, come on Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. I don't really know. We don't know exactly why the people started clamoring for Aaron to do something. But we do know they were impatient, right? Moses had been gone a long, long time. It's like, nothing's really happening here. Let's let's get something moving. And, and their leader, who they so associated with God's presence, was out of sight. So who was going to lead them in this call that God had for them? Maybe the people, too, they'd been so accustomed in Egypt to seeing these gods that were in the shape of animals and things in the universe. So they had an inkling, like maybe that would be a little bit better for us to see something visible. 
Maybe it was simply the idea that people want to find something to worship that they can handle and understand. But it's pretty ironic at the very time that God is talking to Moses about constructing a tabernacle that will reveal his presence to the people, that the people are telling Aaron to construct something so they can see God in a different way. This fellow Moses, they said, they were ready, I think, to turn and follow Aaron. I mean, this fellow Moses is even going to come back. Did he die? I don't even know where he is. Let's go ahead and move forward in the way we think would be best. Now, the events that follow after this could be even laughable if they weren't so tragic. Aaron says, bring me all your gold jewelry. And so they take off their jewelry, all the things they'd gotten from the people in Egypt, and they give him to Aaron, and Aaron shapes a calf or a bull, some of the scriptures say. It's pretty interesting that later when when Moses comes back and says, Aaron, what were you doing? Aaron describes it this way. He said, well, I, I got this gold from the people, and I just threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Like, really? It was just amazing. But Aaron is behind this. He's responding to some needs that are there in the people. And so he builds a calf. He builds an altar in front of it. And he says, tomorrow we're going to have a festival. We're going to celebrate and worship. And if you'll notice, it says, we're going to have a festival to the Lord, to Yahweh. I wonder if in that forming of a a calf or forming of an idol, they weren't so much replacing God as recreating him. And what happens next, the word in the in the scripture is revelry, but we know there were there was singing and dancing, nothing it nothing off limits with that before God. And yet something happened in that festival that turned it crazy. A lot of people have um Captured, this has captured people's imaginations for many centuries. And here's just a picture of, of a, an artist from the 17th century who took a, took an idea of what it might have looked like for this calf. I wonder if it was really that big, but, um, to the people coming around and worshiping and dancing and singing. And just imagine this. These people who had just recently heard God's covenant law, the Ten Commandments, and the first two of which are, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one, you shall not make any images or idols to bow down and worship. And yet here they are, engaged in this festival for a crafted idol that they are referring to as God. They maybe wanted to replace God, but I wonder when God wasn't visible to them all of a sudden and their leader was gone, if they thought, we need something more tangible so that we can take a hold of this and understand who God is. Whatever the case, in making their own God, they rebel against the God who had delivered them, who had made a way for them in the wilderness. James Bruckner, a a theologian, writes this in one of his commentaries on Exodus. In making the God, they became their own gods. They twisted God's intended freedom for them 
into a new form of self-slavery. They took what God intended for good and freedom and joy and they made it their own and become became slaves to it. Now, before we just dismiss this, like this is something in the past where ancient people used to do weird things and follow after idols. I wonder if we too aren't prone to some of the same things. I've never crafted an idol, but are there ways I have crafted an idol? Where we as people want to do what seems right to us, Regardless of what God says, we're prone to forget that this was God's gracious covenant to his people and we want to control things in our way. We want to see things done in a way that we can understand. Yes, we want God's presence. I think the people wanted God's presence with them. They wanted to know they weren't alone, that they were going to move forward in this journey and yet they wanted it on their terms, a God they could handle, a God they could understand a God of their own making. We know from this, if you read the whole chapter of chapter 32, that God's anger and Moses' anger burns against this rebellion. And it doesn't come without consequence. There is such a startling exchange, which we didn't have time to read this morning, between Moses and God. And I would encourage you to sometime read this because it shows God in a way that is like, wow, God's negotiating with Moses and Moses dares to come before God and intercede for the people because God is saying, I'm done with them. They have totally rebelled against me. But in that interchange between God and Moses, it says that God relented. Some um, translations have it, God repented, but I don't think it's a good um, translation of the word because God has nothing to repent of. But God relented. The verb it refers to has compassion or feels sorrow for someone. God relented in the huge disaster. He was ready to wipe the people out. And God relented from the full destruction of these people. But that doesn't mean the consequences weren't severe. And we don't like reading this, honestly, right? 3,000 people killed by the sword. A plague that killed a whole bunch of people in punishment for their rebellion. Rebellion. But God is God. And he's a God of judgment as well as of grace. And he will not be bound by our sensibilities of what it means to be God. Because God is self-defining. And though he reveals himself to us and we know who he is through what he's done, he is still full of mystery, otherness, parts that we cannot sometimes bring together. This is our God, bigger than anything we could describe or create. Consider the way that God describes himself. This is later in the text, after Moses has crafted some new um, tablets. Remember, he threw the other ones down, smashed completely. God says, come back to the mountain. I want you to bring two new tablets and I'm going to write on them again. And when Moses goes up on the mountain, God comes down to him in a cloud, says, the scripture says, and stood with him. And this is what God said about himself. And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord 
the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And we want to stop right there and say, hallelujah. Yes, the Lord, the Lord. But it says, and this is what God says about himself, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You know, this morning we sang that beautiful song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Beautiful song. And we sang words right out of this. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. You're kind. You're good. And that is all true. And those are the verses we want to memorize and quote. But how many songs do we sing about the second part? Praise you, God, that you're a just God who does not leave the guilty unpunished who judges righteously and rightly. And this is who you are as well, God. There's no inconsistency in this description. God is both and. His compassion and grace equal with his judgment and his righteousness. Israel was looking for a God that they could define. They could choose which parts of him they wanted to follow one that they could handle. I wonder if we're not the same. I mean, even in the way we choose uh, verses to memorize, right? Let's, let's make sure we focus on this part of God because I like that part of who God is. But I'm not sure about the other part. I wonder if you and I, even as we have been people who commit to following Jesus, do some of the same thing. Creating gods of our own making. And I want to just ask us that. In what ways do we fashion gods of our own making? Now, I, I'm i not trying to um, break down your understandings, your theological concepts of God this morning. Because many of you have studied the scriptures and you've known God for a long time. And this is rich and good and wonderful. But... We are just as capable of Israel of turning our understanding of God into an idol that we can handle and that fits our sense of what is right and good. We want to craft a God in our image that we can understand, that we can control, that we can measure, that we can manage, that we can have the right little words to say about God and that will be good enough. But God cannot be contained by our sets of beliefs. Even our understanding of scriptures, God is not contained by that. When we think we've got them all figured out, we too can be guilty of worshiping a God of our own making. And that's the root of rebellion. It's refusing to honor and worship God as he has described on his terms. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've been thinking about, of course, I've been thinking about this all week, so that that makes it very close to my heart about what it means to create a God in my own making. Too easily dismissing parts of God's character to cozy up to the ones that I like. And practically, I just want to just give a couple of ideas of what this might look like in your life. The Holy Spirit knows. 
But it's a warning to us that rebellion can come in all kinds of ways. Two ways, perhaps, that we fashion our own gods. One is, just kind of blatant, we ignore or diminish what God has already said. We might say, yes, God said that, but... And then we move on to the good stuff that we like. Our way of seeing, our way of seeing the world, the way we envision the way the world should go, that is the basis and the template for our behavior and our response. And we, we don't take God at His word, or we just take part of His word, making it up to fit our own needs. We are fashioning a false God. Now that's pretty blatant, but here's the other one where I think it can be a little more subtle, but just as dangerous. We think we know everything about God. We think we have got it all figured out. We've got our systematic theology. We've got our doctrines. We've got the verses that we've memorized. We've got it all down. We know the stories. And we can understand who God is. And we hold so tightly to what we've learned that we are not even open to being surprised by God showing up in new ways and showing himself to us. Can you be surprised by God? Or is he so predictable, so definable by the way you see him that you are not in this space of, wow, I'd never seen that God. I didn't understand that about you. And even then, to come to a place of saying, there's no, there will be, I will never understand you, God. There's no complete way that I can understand who you are. You know, all of humanity, whether Christian or not, we have a propensity to try and domesticate God, to worship him on our terms. Maybe not carving out a golden calf but carving and holding fast to an image of God that is not truly God but here's the good news there is good news for people who rebel there is good news for Israel even after judgment there are new stone tablets There's a renewed presence. There's a renewed covenant with Moses. There's an interceder. And God continues to lead his people through the wilderness. And there's good news for us, friends. Whatever your view of God is this morning, wherever you're stuck with aspects of God's character that just don't sit right with you, God meets us in those places. He forgives even our image making. Yes, there might be punishment. But he forgives us and he welcomes us back into his presence even as we rebel. And the good news, we have an intercessor even better than Moses before the throne of God, the one Jesus Christ. A savior that not only delivers us but forgives our rebellion, takes the punishment upon himself. This is the good news. Let's not get tired of this, friends. Let's not just gloss over that as if it's just something that we've always had. This is good news for us as rebellious people. That we don't need to look for a God to create. We need to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. At the one who stood in the gap for us. At the one who took punishment for us. The one who said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
So as you consider what image of God you have in your own mind, keep going back to the person of Jesus. Jesus, God himself, made visible in God's terms, not ours, made visible so we could know what God was like. This is good news for us, even us as rebellious people. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, you are the faithful God, even of unfaithful people like us. Oh, we like to point fingers at Israel and and say that they were so clueless to create a God that was not truly you. But we must confess, God, that we too turn to other gods. We seek making a God that we can understand or control or manage. And you will not have it. For you are the God who is the I am. And we bow before you in worship, God. You are a good God, a good Father, who shows us yourself in the person of Jesus. And so we can honestly, worshipfully say, you are a good Father, and we are loved by you. May that be our worship to the true God this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name.